The Explore Oregon podcast is brought to you by the Statesman Journal, newspaper of Salem in the state capital since 1851. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. In this edition, we're traveling to the snowy mountains to highlight the best places to ski, snowshoe, or just frolic in the snow. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. One of my favorite things about living in Oregon is that you can visit the snow on your own terms. Unlike much of the country, Oregon's Cascade Mountains offer the chance to drive to the snow when you want before returning to the relative warmth of the valley. But it's not always clear where you should go. With a wide variety of snow parks, ski areas, access points, finding the best snowy adventure, not always simple. In this edition of the Explore Oregon podcast, we're going to talk about the best places to get into the snow. We'll visit frozen waterfalls, cozy snow shelters tucked into the forest, and talk about gear, safety, and how to plan the best winter adventure in the mountains. All right, David, so let's talk about getting the most out of Oregon snow. So as far as location goes, the places we're going to talk about are Santium and Willamette Passes. So that means we're talking about the mountains between the Willamette Valley and Bend, and primarily around Mount Jefferson, Mount Washington, the Three Sisters, down to Diamond Peak. Now, all the places we're going to talk about are accessed from highways 22 and 20 east of Salem and Highway 58 east of Eugene. That's important because they are the highways that are plowed basically all winter long, so you can always access these places. Looking at the big picture, Oregon has quite a few pockets for winter recreation, even just in the Cascade Mountains. The two big gorillas are probably the Mount Hood area near Portland and Mount Bachelor near Bend. But we decided to focus on Sandyham and Willamette Pass. It's kind of our local mountains, and honestly, it's just our favorite place to go in winter. So Sandyham and Willamette Pass are a little ways apart. One's directly east of Salem, the other is directly southeast of Eugene, but they are close enough for a day trip. They're really good for every kind of snowbound activity. There's 16 snow parks, two downhill ski areas, and a lot of terrain. I guess what I'm saying is you can have a number of really good winter experiences on these two passes. Our focus is going to be the most interesting places for snowshoes, skis, and yes, even a sled. But we're going to go ahead and bring you also some of the fun history of the area and a few interesting facts. So we'll talk about the wild early days of the Hoodoo ski area and explain which pivotal scene (laughs) from the movie Homeward Bound was filmed here. But let's start off, as we always do, with a simple question. Why go? If we're picking a place for winter adventure and there's all these more popular big grand marquee names, why why choose Sandyham or Willamette Pass? Well, the fact that you brought up Homeward Bound in the intro to this, <laughs> I think is a good enough reason. But if I had to expand on that, I guess what I'd say about Sanium and Willamette Pass is that they have everything I want in a winter recreation area and a lot less of what I do not want. So on the positive side, you know, it's got easy and beautiful snowshoe trips for beginners. It's got more exotic backcountry trips like the hidden snow shelters or waterfalls. Plus, you've got the classic downhill skiing, lodge, snowboarding, family-friendly experience. So you've got all of that there. What it doesn't have are the type of major crowds that you find on Mount Hood and around Mount Bachelor with increasing regularity these days. So dealing with crowds is something you have to learn to deal with to enjoy the outdoors in Oregon. It's just kind of a fact of life. But when it gets to the point where you're struggling to find a parking spot ever, 
and you're stuck in traffic for hours. I just don't want any part of that. And that just happens around Hood and Bachelor more often and very rarely on Sand and Willamette Pass. Yeah, if you think about it, you put a bunch of Portland drivers on an icy <laughs> highway, it's a recipe for some bad times. And like you said, the nice thing about Sandy Am and Willamette Pass is that there's options really from mild to wild, and cabin fever can be a mighty motivator to kind of get out there and seek something new. Personally, I appreciate kind of the lower barrier to get out and have some fun. You know, for families that don't have a lot of time and resources to head to one of the big ski resorts, snow parks are a great alternative. Mm -hmm. You know, the days are shorter, so you don't have as much daylight, less time. So these are a little bit more accessible. They are. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, all they want to do is take their kids to the snow. Like they don't need the bells and whistles and stuff. They just want to go up and get into the snow. And this is a good place to do that. Now, you could make the argument that Sanium and Willamette Pass don't have the premier downhill ski areas. And that is 100% true. Like if you're hardcore into downhill skiing, look, Bachelor and Mountain Hood Meadows, they're just going to be a better option for you. But what Sanium and Willamette Pass do have is just really interesting diversity. You know, again, snowshoe past a 100-foot waterfall one day, downhill ski the next day, go sledding with your kids the next day. Like you can do all of that. And it's pretty under the radar. You know, you're not going to be struck in traffic for for three hours or something like that. We're going to jump right into our favorite places. Make sure to stick around until the end when we'll be highlighting maps, gear, and tools you should consider when planning a winter trip. We'll also share some great sources of information that you'll need to make informed decisions about where to go. All right, so let's get started by talking about two of my personal favorite places, the places I probably travel more often for snowshoeing and skiing trips than anywhere else, and that is going to be Maxwell and Potato Hill Snow Parks. These are both located right on the side of Highway 22 and 20, east of Detroit, right around Saniam Junction. It's about a 90-minute drive from Salem. Which one do you want to talk about first? So let's do Maxwell. And I would say that in a good snow year, this is the most beloved snow park in Salem. And the reason is it just has everything you look for. There's 22 miles of snowshoe and ski routes, often through really beautiful old growth forest. But what really makes Maxwell special is Mountain View Shelter. It's a beautiful wood cabin tucked above the forest with spectacular views of Three Finger Jack, Three Sisters, Mount Jefferson. It's got a wood stove to keep you nice and toasty. There's a nice route to get up there of about five to seven miles round trip. And while, you know, most people just stop in for a visit, you know, sort of as the midway point of a trip, you are allowed to spend the night there. So let's pause for a second to talk about the difference between a shelter and a cabin. Because when you say a cabin, I think of a (laughs) roaring fireplace, a bearskin rug, you know, something out of a fairy tale. But what's kind of the reality on the ground? What should you expect if you want to say, you know, stay at one of these overnight? All right. Yeah. So it's not a luxury chalet in the Swiss Alps. It's got a cement floor, a picnic table, wooden planks for sleeping. So, yeah, there's no electricity. It's basically just a place to keep warm. There aren't a lot of amenities or really any. It's also first come, first serve. So you're not allowed to reserve it. And that means there's a decent chance you'll be sharing it with other people on weekends. So if you like a cozy place in the mountains, great views and stuff like that, it's good. If you're looking for like a hot tub and again, a bearskin rug, this isn't your place. So what did you think about spending the night there? I really enjoyed it. You know, I came up there with my nephews. It does, does take a little bit of time to get up there, especially with kids. It's a fairly steep trip. You got to, you know, check your route and things like that. Once you get up there, though, it's fantastic. I mean, we spent the day, you know, looking at the mountains, making uh, caves in the snow and stuff like that. 
at night, you know, it gets dark, so it's really important to bring a lantern and board games because otherwise the kids might get a little bit bored before dinner. <laughs> um, so we basically survived on playing Stratego. Fantastic. Any downside to Maxwell? Yeah, the elevation is only 3,800 feet. And in recent years, that hasn't been enough to get significant snowpack. So there have been times when there's like just a couple inches of snow up there, and that's not really enough to have a good winter experience. So what about Potato Hill Snow Park? It's just up the highway, about four miles away. What does it kind of bring to the table? Yeah, so Potato Hill is great for beginning snowshoers. And that's basically because, again, you start right on the side of the highway. If you've ever go, gone over Sandian Pass, you've almost certainly seen it. And all you really do is travel up snow-covered roads, you know, slightly uphill to a really good view. And so it has all these great things for beginning snowshoe. You know, it's pretty simple and straightforward. It's not too difficult, but there's also a really good payoff. So you get to enjoy that sort of upside of snowshoeing. Yeah, we actually have a former colleague who, when Zach told him about this place, really caught the bug and was going there every other week for a while. Shout out to Instagram account Jamie, a small terrier that kind of frequently went along for the ride. Yeah, that dog has, has seen some pretty good views in like this time. Like, that, that dog has had more snow days than I have. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, and like I said, it's a great place to get started. And one thing I forgot to mention is that the views are really good almost throughout because this area was torched by the 2002 B&B complex fire. So don't let anyone ever tell you that wildfires don't do anything good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a minor hot take. <laughs> So for both Maxwell and Potato Hill, which do you prefer for skiing or snowshoeing? I mean, people do both, you know, depending on your skill level. For me personally, I like snowshoeing at Maxwell just because you get in kind of tight in the forest. There's some steeper ups and downs. It's a little more technical. And I like to take my skis to Potato Hill because, again, you're just sort of on a, a wide road and, you know, you can cruise up and cruise down. All right. Up next, we're going to talk about the first snowy waterfall of the podcast. Zach, where are you taking us? Yeah, we are traveling to Saheli and Kusa Falls, two of the most beautiful waterfalls in Oregon that become even better in the snow and ice. Now, a word of caution, this is the lowest elevation of the places we're going to go. So again, it's a good one to check on those webcams. Parking can also be a little tricky, but if you get the chance to do this, you got to make sure to do it. These two waterfalls are on the upper Mackenzie River, just south of Sandium Junction. It actually makes use of a popular part of the Mackenzie River Trail, but it offers kind of a different experience in winter, right? Yep, it's a three-mile loop, and depending on where you park, you basically follow the normal trail. It's just covered in snow. And it takes you past these two waterfalls that are just really beautiful in the snow and ice. And I don't know if this is just me, but I've always been sort of obsessed by snowy waterfalls. I really like taking trips there. I'm not sure exactly why that is, maybe because it is like every form of H2O in one place, like the ice, snow, mist, and, you know, roaring liquid water, that, that interplay, just, it's one of my favorite experiences. It just like activates a dopamine center in my brain that makes me really happy. And the side of the Mackenzie River's rich blue color really just accentuates that, this all with this coat of white. If you're a photographer, it's a really great experience to just catch, capture a really dynamic scene. So quick shout out to 90s kids here. One fun thing about Saheli Falls specifically that we have to mention is that it was featured in the 1993 classic Homeward Bound, the one about cats and dogs that can talk and go on an adventure. Saheli Falls is the waterfall that the character Sassy the Cat <laughs> kind of gets launched off of in the movie. 
Yeah, so you can actually find this clip on YouTube, and th- that's the reason we're bringing it up. Is I got really happy the other day because <laughs> I found this clip on YouTube, and it you know it took me back to I watched this movie a million times as a kid, and I remember that part. And then you follow the the clip all the way to the end, and you're like, whoa, that's the Haley Falls because it's, that, a, it's that, a distinctive shape. Yeah, it's a really distinct waterfall, and you're like, oh, that has to be it. And then we Google searched it to you know fact check it. Um, my question for you is, and I, I thought about this: is the Haley Falls is a powerful waterfall. In the movie, Sassy the Cat survives the plunge off the waterfall. Do you think that cat actually survived the plunge? Well, I don't think they're actually throwing live cats over it. But I think theoretically, if we we were to sort of break this down, you've said that kayakers use it as a run. Well, occasionally the crazy kayakers do launch themselves off Sahaley Falls. So theoretically, there's probably, you know, a pretty wide open pool at the bottom. So chances are, you know, the cat will land in the pool sort of hopefully, you know, get its bearings together and swim towards the shore. Okay, so cats have the ability to do that. Because I, I just don't feel like my dog would survive that. Uh, I mean, even odds maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Tricky question. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to the point, you mentioned there were some challenges to this route that sort of made it different from other places we've been talking about. Yeah, so I wrote a detailed story about this route and spent a lot of time explaining the parking situation. So we'll link to it on uh, the page of this podcast if you want to know more, because you're going to want to know the details before you head out there. Basically, there's no official place plowed out. This isn't an official snow park. So you kind of have to take your chances on a few different options that are sometimes plowed, sometimes not. The good news is that if for some reason Sahaley Falls doesn't work out, there is a snow park just up the road called Iconic, and it has a great uh, ski and snowshoe route called the Isaac Nickerson Loop. Nice combination of snowy forests and mountain views. We will have a detailed story that you can check out, too. Yeah, you can find that at statesandjournal.com slash explore. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk about an even bigger snowy waterfall trip and one of the oldest ski areas in Oregon. We hope you're enjoying the Explore Oregon podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to support our efforts to bring even more great stories from Oregon's outdoors, consider a digital subscription to the Statesman Journal. Not only do you get access to the best in outdoor adventures, there's all the news, sports, and entertainment stories from Oregon's capital and the Willamette Valley. Head on over to statesmanjournal.com slash subscribe to learn more. All right, welcome back. We typically start the second half of the podcast with a story or two and a little bit of history. And one place that really applies is Hoodoo Ski Area. It's somewhat overshadowed now by the larger resorts on Mount Hood and Mount Bachelor. But Hoodoo is actually the second oldest ski area in Oregon. And there's a lot of fun history here. Yeah, so Hoodoo officially opened in 1938. And again, it was the second one to open in the state after Timberline Lodge just a year, year earlier. And it was a big deal. The first fun note here, though, is that the current location wasn't the first choice. The guy who opened it, uh, a mill owner from Eugene named Ed Thurston, decided that the location was originally going to be on Three Finger Jack, one of the most dramatic mountains in the state. It's certainly a lot better known than Hoodoo Butte, and the Forest Service agreed to this. So there's this crazy what if. Um, because nowadays, Three Finger Jack's within a federal wilderness area. It's kind of known as this very rugged, remote peak. But there was almost a ski area there. 
And it only didn't happen because they couldn't get funding for a four-mile road to lead there from Highway 20. So instead, they settled on Hoodoo Butte. And at first, there wasn't really much to it. It was basically just a tow rope that was powered by this old automobile engine. (laughs) And it was never really a sure bet that the engine was going to work. Yeah, you know, I wrote a story on the history, and I talked to a guy named Jim Hosmer. And it was his job back in those early days to get the engine running every morning. And he said the first thing they did was break ice off it. And then they'd kick it a few times before it would, you know, sputter and then cough and then finally start humming. It's just this giant engine block that they had, you know, back in those days. He said it kind of had its own personality. Like some mornings it would be super grumpy and just didn't want to wake up. And other times it would be, you know, ready to go. He said once you got it running, it was pretty reliable, though. Anyway, along with the engine, one big difference in the early days was that there wasn't a road all the way to the tow rope. People had to park out along the highway and ski in to reach the tow rope at the base of Hoodoo Butte. Yeah, so I talked to a woman named Laureen Gar, and uh, she visited with her Jefferson High School class in 1946. And she said basically her class drove up on the highway, and then everyone slept at Sanium Lodge, which is right along the highway. And it cost you $1.25 per night if you brought your own sleeping bag. If you didn't bring your own sleeping bag, you could rent one, and it cost $3 per night. In the morning, they would ski a mile to what was then called Hoodoo Ski Bowl. And she said it was pretty exhausting to the point that, you know, they'd have this great day up in the mountains, and then it would be time to go, and, like, some of her classmates just couldn't make it. Leave like, too much out there. They left too much out there, and so they'd have to, like, pull people back with, like, <laughs> leashes and ropes and stuff like that, and it was kind of an ordeal getting them all the way out of there. Hoodoo actually reached national prominence in 1950 when they became the first ski area in the state to install a double chairlift all the way to the summit. The new lift was supported by timbers that they cut sort of locally, but there was a problem. Yeah, this double chairlift was a big deal. It was the first one in Oregon, and apparently from what I read, it was one of the first in the world at that point. Hosmer said that they are all pretty proud of themselves for building it. And, you know, what they basically done is take these, you know, giant trees and then supported it on cables. The problem was that the trees they picked were not quite tall enough because it was good in the morning. But once the lift cables warmed up, they had a tendency to sag and the chairlifts would get down so low that the skiers basically had to hold <laughs> the skis up near their chins. So you'd have these people sitting in the double chairlift with their skis like over their heads. And he said the people who didn't pay attention would just get flipped out and face plant in the snow. And like this was a common occurrence. Like you'd be sitting there watching somebody go up the lift and all of a sudden, whomp. It's kind of amazing that anyone actually made it to the top, you know, considering maybe the lift wouldn't be running and then maybe they wouldn't, you know, they'd make it halfway and then get tired and fall off. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the early days of ski areas were just just wild, (laughs) like, because, you know, it wasn't professional outfits that you have these days. There's like everything is standardized. It was just these guys jerry rigging stuff together, basically. And there's just a lot of comedy, I think, in that whole thing, because everything was like fraught with peril, (laughs) like on the edge of just like total calamity. Gradually, more ski areas opened up around the state, including on Willamette Pass and at Mount Bachelor. But Hoodoo stayed relevant until a series of unfortunate events. In 1967, a wildfire nearly burned the ski area to the ground, and it did take out one of the lifts. The next year, a different fire burned down the lodge and sadly took the life of a beloved German shepherd who was the only one there at the time. Yeah, there's a lot of mystery about what happened. You know, I read old newspaper clips about this, and, you know, the family that owned it, it was at the end of the season. They'd kind of gone into town, and they came back, and the lodge was just gone. This big fire had just started all of a sudden, and... You know, their beloved family dog, who is the only one who was there, just, you know, never showed up. 
And that experience, you know, kind of really set them back. It began this period when hoodoo would kind of start to struggle. It started to get really overshadowed by the bigger ski areas like uh, Mount Bachelor and Mount Hood Meadows. And at some point there was kind of a question about whether it would endure or what it would look like in the future. Yeah, when I was growing up in the, you know, 80s and 90s, hoodoo was kind of the shabby cousin to the Mount Hood resorts. It was kind of an afterthought. You know, and that started to change in 1999 when the current owner, Chuck Shepard, purchased it. Now, he put a lot of money into it. He built the 60,000-foot lodge. He put in new lifts. He put in a tubing park. He kind of rebranded it as this sort of still nice but cheaper, less crowded alternative to Mount Bachelor and Mount Hood, and it's worked out. Hoodoo's attendance has, like, quadrupled since 2000, and they're doing well enough that they're planning to expand the parking lot next year. Yeah, the biggest challenge Hoodoo is likely to face in the future is actually getting enough snow. Climate change has really taken a toll on the lower elevation ski areas in Oregon. It's right at that zone where increasingly precipitation is falling more as rain than snow. And it's led to multiple years where Hoodoo was just barely able to open. You know, I've talked to the managers at Hoodoo about this a number of times just to see how they're going to deal with this in the future. And the current general manager kind of brought up the story about how he met with ski managers from Australia one year. And he told them about how those Australian resorts stayed open with just 12 inches of snow. By They basically harvested every last snowflake they could find. They creatively put it on runs. And so while the future could bring challenges, the current owners are thinking about this and they're committed to, you know, getting Hoodoo to its 100-year anniversary. Okay, after that little bit of history, let's go ahead and talk about what you can actually do today in the San Diego Pass and Hoodoo area, because there's quite a lot. Yeah, this is going to be the place where you can kind of do everything. You've got the classic downhill skiing experience, and you've got a number of other things. One thing I'd mention about Hoodoo is that it offers these great $25 lift tickets on what's called Thrifty Thursday. It's a really great deal. There's hardly any lines. Now, honestly, because I have two little kids, the reason I've been going to Sanium Pass and Hoodoo most often has been sledding and tubing. And it's interesting because here you have these two very contrasting options. So at Hoodoo, there's a well-run tubing park called the Autobahn. So you pay for it, you get your tube, there's a tow rope, you can get a lot of speed going down, but it's groomed and very safe. But if you want a more adventurous sledding experience, I guess, you go across the highway. It's literally three or four minutes away to Sanium Snow Park. And here there's no tow rope, but there's a bunch of different hills, and it's much more like the Wild West. There is danger, there's jumps, you know, there's people that run into the trees sometimes. It can be very serious. There recently a woman was paralyzed in a tubing accident there. Yeah, Sandyham Snow Park is actually much more rugged of an experience. The only thing they really did to create these sledding hills is cut <laughs> down some trees. And after that, it's pretty much at your own risk. And the risks are pretty real. So anything else you want to highlight? Yeah, two things. So from Sandyham Snow Park, uh, that leads you to the Pacific Crest Trail, which is a pretty popular backcountry winter experience. You can actually ski to the base of uh, Three Finger Jack and see what it might have been like if there's a ski area there. <laughs> it's pretty good backcountry skiing. If you like the sort of um, classic cross-country skiing experience, you cannot go wrong with Ray Benson Snow Park, uh, which is also right there. It has the best skiing for, you know, Nordic skiing in the state, some great loops, a couple of shelters, really good views of Mount Washington. So, look, I mean, you've got Hoodoo, Ray Benson, Sanium Snow Park all right here, and it caters to pretty much everything you'd want to do. All right, let's move a little bit further south and talk about a place that I know you really enjoy. Yeah, the next place I'm excited to talk about is Salt Creek Snow Park. 
And it's one of my favorites because it has a lot of options, but primarily it has a huge snowy waterfall, Salt Creek Falls. So let's start here. This is the first place that we talked about that's actually on Willamette Pass. So it's a pretty healthy drive from Salem. The closest town is going to be Oak Ridge. Yeah, it is a much longer drive, but I'd say it's worth it. And the reason is you can have a really good day in a lot of different ways. So what I mean, it's a pretty easy one-mile snowshoe to Salt Creek Falls. You know, this big, powerful 286-foot waterfall that really gets coated in snow and ice. So I like having that easy snowshoe trip because you can do it with kids. You can definitely do that. That, It's a good one for kids, plus they get that upside of seeing the waterfall. It's impressive. But then you can head back, and there's a sledding hill. So between the snowshoe trip, the sledding option, I mean, the kids are going to be exhausted and have had a pretty good day just there. But there's also some more challenging stuff there, right? It's not just an easy trip. Yeah, there's two challenging options. And the first is going to be, so you snowshoe to Salt Creek Falls. Then there's an option for a longer route on the Diamond Falls Loop which takes you to another waterfall. So you can, can combine those two together for a more challenging snowshoe trip. Now, if you want to test yourself even more, all you got to do is hop across the highway and take the route to Fuji Snow Shelter. So you park at Salt Creek Falls, then you head up this snow-covered road for four miles, a steep 1,500 feet, to a snow shelter with a beautiful view of Diamond Peak. So people do stay overnight there as well. So do you have a preference for either skiing or snowshoeing here? For most of the stuff, so to Salt Creek Falls, Diamond Falls Loop, I like to snowshoe. But for the route to Fuji Shelter, you got to ski because you're going up a long ways. And, you know, that trip down is so much more fun if you're skiing down than snowshoeing down. Make the most of the gravity. Got to do it. All right. We're going to finish up just down the road at Gold Lake Snow Park, which is also on Willamette Pass. It's fairly close to Willamette Pass Resort. So just like Hoodoo, it's one of those places where there's a lot going on. But there's one big reason you really like this area, right? Yeah, it's all about the snow shelters. There's a bunch of them here that are easy, medium, and difficult trips. So from Gold Lake Snow Park, you have access to a big network of ski and snowshoe trails that lead to not one, not two, but three snow shelters. But let's back up a bit and talk a little bit more about these snow shelters. Sure. We talked earlier about Mountain View Shelter, but there's some key differences between that and these snow shelters, right? Yeah, so I'm actually glad that you brought that up because, you know, we talked about Mountain View, and that is, while, you know, it's kind of rustic and things like that, it is an enclosed cabin. You know, it has four walls, so you can, you know, get cozy in there. The places, the snow shelters that we're talking about around Gold Lake and Fuji Mountain, these are three-sided snow shelters. So they're not enclosed. They have one side that's completely open. And beyond that, they just kind of have a gravel floor, a wooden plank or loft to sleep on, and then there's the wood stove. I've stayed in these three-sided shelters before, and it's a unique experience. You know, you don't have that feeling of being protected inside a cabin But it does stay pretty cozy as long as you're well outfitted and, you know, you keep the fire going in that wood stove. It's a cozy, interesting, cool experience. Might not be for everyone, but I really enjoy it. Much less protection uh, from Bigfoot. Much less protection from (laughs) from Bigfoot. Yeah, I mean, if he's out there and you're in a shelter and he wants to get you, I mean, there's just not a lot you can do. Sure. Okay, so getting back to Gold Lake, you said there's three of them, right? Yeah, so there's three snow shelters within reach. At the snow park, there's actually a cabin there where the ski patrol is located, and it's kind of fun to stop there and quiz them, get maps and, you know, ideas for trips. But the nice thing about the three shelters is that they're different distances and difficulties. So the easiest one to get to is Westview Shelter, 
I mean, that's an easy two miles out and back. Maybe a good one if you're just taking kids snowshoeing for the first time. It makes a great spot to stop and hang out at after a while. Then there's Bechtel Shelter. And that's on a route that, uh, you know, just follows the snowy roads for 4.6 miles round trip. My personal favorite is Gold Lake Shelter. Now, it's on the opposite side of the highway, and it's a little tougher at almost five miles round trip, but it offers probably the most beautiful view in the area of Gold Lake just kind of spreading out in front of you. Now, there's other snow shelters out there. They're a little deeper in the backcountry, so if you're interested, check out the Forest Service website on snow shelters. They have a pretty good breakdown. Well, so we've done our best to sell you on the area. Now let's go ahead and talk about what type of gear you'll need to consider before a successful trip up there. Yeah, now this isn't a gear podcast, so we're just going to kind of touch on some of this. Obviously, you'll need snowshoes, skis, or whatever else. Head to your local gear shop. I'd encourage folks to uh, just do a Google search on the 10 winter essentials. So make sure you're you're set up in terms of base layer, a shell, all the stuff you need to kind of keep you alive. For a lot of places we're going to talk about, you're going to need a snow park permit. They cost $25 for a year pass or $3 for just a day pass. And you can pick them up at most outdoor shops or even the DMV. Basically, it allows you to park at these winter access parking lots that get plowed during the season. Yeah, the best way to think about snow parks is just as snowy trailheads. And they're pretty diverse. You know, some of them have warming huts, maps, even a ski patrol there. Others, there's basically nothing except... You know, you park there and there's a few blue diamonds leading off into the forest and that, that's it. So on that same note, what I'd recommend if you really want to explore snow parks is a winter recreation map for Sanium and Willamette Passes. Uh, the Forest Service produces them and they're fantastic. They show all the snow parks, all the trails, you know, all the routes. Now, the, the routes can be confusing, which is why a map is helpful. I mean, you're just kind of, again, following like blue diamonds. So being able to look at a map and correlate that with where you're going has always been really helpful for me. I love these maps. So any other gear we shouldn't leave home without? Personally, I really like having a handheld GPS device, especially for kind of backcountry snowshoeing or skiing trips. I mean, it shows you exactly where you are. And look, winter routes are just trickier. Consequences of getting lost are a little bit higher. So that handheld GPS where you know exactly where you are, know exactly where your car is, you know, nice peace of mind there. Let's talk a little bit about reading conditions on the ground. Now, this might sound nerdy and like overkill, but honestly, for having a good experience, you want to know what you're walking into. So I'd start out with reading the weather. Now, the weather report for Salem is utterly worthless for understanding what it's going to be like up in the mountains. So I would encourage people to check out the National Weather Service site, which allows you to get the weather specifically for a place like Sanium Pass. I always check it before I go, and I also know, you know, if it's been snowing previously, hey, you know, it's a good time to go up there. Yeah, so once you check the weather, it also helps to kind of visually get an idea about what you're getting into. And for that, we recommend tripcheck.com. It's a website operated by the Oregon Department of Transportation, and it has webcams along all the kind of major highways, as well as snow readings at different elevations up the mountains. This can kind of ultimately help you decide on your destination because if you're planning a trip to, say, Maxwell Snow Park, and you look at the closest webcam and all you see is a bunch of, like, lightly snowed grass or something, you can then pick a place maybe a little higher in elevation to get, you know, much more snow. Again, that's it, tripcheck.com. And, of course, we're always going to encourage people to bring chains, have some type of traction tires, extra food, blanket, all those survival, good preparation things, just in case. Finally, another great fail-safe to have if things do go wrong is either a personal locator beacon or satellite messenger. 
a basic personal locator beacon will broadcast your location to search and rescue teams for at least 24 hours. Well, more advanced satellite messengers allow for one-way preset messages to be sent. These are best known by the brand name Spot or even Garmin who offer models with two-way messaging. At the same time, nothing replaces education from those with experience. So we'd really encourage anyone who's just getting into winter recreation to join up with a group like the Chemekinens or the Oregon Nordic Club. That's the best way to get educated, take some classes, and meet some other people who are up for winter trips. Well, that's about all we have for the places that we were highlighting. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention? I guess I should mention that even if you're in good shape, uh, I would encourage starting off slow when it comes to snowshoeing or Nordic skiing. Both are a little bit harder than they look, and it takes a little while to get used to how much mileage you can do. For example, you know, a mile of snowshoeing often feels more like two to three miles of hiking. So I'd say just start out slow in that regard. If you see a snowshoe trip, it's only like three miles, and you're like, Psh, that sounds easy. Just try it that way, and you'll get a sense of what you're capable of. And you will work some muscles that you have probably not worked in a long time. Yeah, for sure. So any other places that you uh, wanted to mention that we didn't get to? Yeah, I mean, there's a million places to snowshoe and ski when conditions are right. I've written about some of them, and there's some great unofficial routes where you can just park on the side of the highway and head off, and those are pretty great. We did have a story on the statesmanjournal.com called the, the 10 Best Snowshoe Routes Near Salem, and that has a ton of options, including one to Fay Lake that I really love. That's about all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening, because without you, we wouldn't be putting these together. So if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends. You can find all our previous episodes at statesmanjournal.com explore or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Thanks for listening.